Hello, and welcome back to episode five of Juror Number One. First off, I gotta say thank you to everyone out there who is listening every week. It's crazy. We have people from California to Germany, Scotland, all over the U.S. It's amazing. So thank you so much for supporting this podcast. This week, this one, oh my goodness. Wait till you hear this whole story. But let's get started. This is episode five. An abduction in West Virginia. So this story starts out. It was the mid-80s in gorgeous, gorgeous West Virginia. If you haven't been to West Virginia, it is actually a pretty beautiful little state. But crazy things happen there like they happen everywhere. So let's get started with this. The mid to late 80s, a young woman was going over to a house where she swore that she trusted this family. She thought this was basically her extended family, so she trusted them very much so. Even at her most vulnerable, she still trusted this family. So, she goes over to their house just to do some laundry as she didn't have a working machine where she lived, she went to her extended family that she thought to just do some laundry, wash some clothes. Well, she couldn't predict what was going to happen that night. She thought she was safe. Wouldn't you? Don't you have friends and close people in your life that you would trust? Of course, we all do, of course. Well, she went over there that night and things took a bad, bad turn for her. You see, while she was there, this father and son abducted her held her captive in their house. See, what happened is while she was doing her laundry, the father took her back to his room and the son watched as he raped her and held her captive in that house. So, this traumatizing I couldn't imagine what this woman must have felt. Especially the women listening. Could you, it's unfathomable how these pieces of shit men hurt women. So she leaves. She gets out of that house. She immediately goes to the police. She explains that I've known this family for so long. 
I trusted them. That's why I was fine being alone in the house with them. Well, sometimes you trust the wrong person. So they start the investigation. Of course, they do a rape kit. They do swabs. They go out to the house and investigate the scene. Of course, they immediately arrest these two men. And they go back to where this attack happened. And they find semen. And they find DNA. And this was, like I said, the mid to late 80s. As we know from previous episodes, that it's very tough to tell with DNA back then. Well, this case was no different. So they take all of their findings and they're ready for the trial to begin. Well, this trial is pretty easy. You would think so as a juror, wouldn't you? Well, that's what you are. So the trial starts out. And you would think it's a pretty open and shut case. The victim is there. She points out these two men that she'd known for so long and trusted as the two people that held her hostage and brutally raped her while the son watched. Well, now comes time for the evidence, physical evidence, not just the eyewitness testimony. And they bring in this man who is, a, at the time, a DNA expert. This guy, he has testified in trials in 12 different states. He's an expert on DNA. So he takes the stand, and this is where... Again, you're the juror here. What would you think? So they bring in this analyst, and he's on the stand. And he's saying, I found semen on several pieces of evidence throughout the crime scene. And what happens whenever he tested that semen? Well... He finds out that it was a type O blood, and that matched the father in the case. And some of the other DNA was type O, and that matched the victim. So their crime scene, from what this guy is saying, on several pieces, the DNA matches two people. One, the defendant, and two, the victim. Well, that might be a little tough to overcome. You're in the jury box right now, and you're watching this man who you've been told is an expert in this new technology. He's went all over the country testifying in cases. Would you trust him? I think I would if I was sitting there. 
and he's the one telling you that the DNA only matches two people. Like I said, the man sitting over there, the defendant, and this poor woman who was a victim, those are the only two. What can you draw from that conclusion? Well, that's up to you. So that was most of what the prosecution was. You would think you wouldn't need more than that. Maybe you would. You have the eyewitness testimony, this woman saying that I'm, I know for a fact this person. Imagine this. Put yourself in the juror's shoes again. This victim is saying, I've known these people for, me, for years. It's not like a random case where someone just broke into a house and you have no idea who it is, so you just have to use your memory to know what they look like. No. This is someone that the victim has known for years. As she said, extended family, basically. So that's a lot different than an eyewitness in a case where you had no idea who the person was, that's got to weigh pretty heavy. And then you have this DNA expert. That's, ugh, that's tough to overcome. But now it's time for the defense. The defense goes after the DNA expert and says, well, yeah, you can find that they're type O, but they were saying it couldn't be anybody else. But there's a lot of people that have type O blood. And this is in the defendant's house, in his bedroom. You would have to think, of course, of course there's going to be his DNA in there. And probably some semen. You would think. So that is their reasonable doubt, they say. Well, of course. It's his room. If you went into someone's room, you would find their DNA. But does that really explain why her DNA is in there? Well, of course it does. She was a close family friend. She was over there all the time. Sometimes she stayed the night and slept in that bed. That should be reasonable doubt, you would think, right? And then it comes to the son that she said was standing there watching all this happen. Well, he has an alibi. <laughs> it's not that strong of an alibi. But it is an alibi. He had someone testify. His good friends say that, I saw him that night. He was hammered drunk. There's no way he, he could barely stand up. How could he do this? That's kind of a tough alibi, though. If someone is drunk saying you were too drunk to do anything, that's, uh, I don't know. So, that was about all they had in this case. So it goes to their closing statements. And this is where you have to take everything in and really decide what you're going to do with these two men, this father and son. 
The prosecution just lays everything out for you. This woman, this girl, went into a house where she thought that she could trust somebody. There's nothing worse than having someone you trust hurt you. It's very painful, let alone what happened to this poor girl. She went into a house where someone, where she could be vulnerable. She could let her guard down. And what happened to her? She was taken advantage of by someone that she thought that she could trust. She was held captive in this room and raped by this defendant. And you know why we know that? Because she pointed both of them out. Two people she knew and trusted. If that's not enough for you, we have one of the top DNA scientists here saying that the evidence that he found and tested could have only been done by this man. His DNA. The only other DNA we found was DNA that matched the victim. So you have no other option other than saying this man and his son are guilty of a heinous crime. And that's the verdict we ask you to come back with. Very, very strong points, you would say. Very strong. But now it's time for the defense's closing statements. They're going to tell you this. these two men would never hurt this woman. They truly cared about her. This is all just a made-up case. Nothing happened. They would never do this. Our boy here has an alibi. His friend's telling you there's no possible way he could have done it because he was out and he was hammered drunk. That's still an alibi. He has someone putting him not at that crime scene. And you want to talk about the DNA. Of course, let's talk about the DNA. What about it? You found the defendant's DNA in his bedroom? Every person listening to this, you would find their DNA in their bedroom. So, how can you use that to convict someone forever? Okay. The victim's DNA was in there too. Yeah. This woman came over all the time to do laundry and hang out. They were close friends. Sometimes she stayed the night, slept in that bed. So why wouldn't her DNA be in there? So I would think that would be enough reasonable doubt to come back with a not guilty verdict. So that's the case. What do you think? Are you saying guilty and sending these two men to jail? Or are you saying reasonable doubt and not guilty? I can tell you what, tomorrow's episode where I explain all of this is going to shock you. It's one of the crazier stories. And I say this every week, but seriously, this is crazy. So think about what you decide. And we'll be back tomorrow with the verdict.
Thanks so much for listening. It truly means the world to me. I greatly appreciate it. Make sure you're sharing with your friends, subscribing. I love you all, and please have a wonderful day. Farewell.